welcome to episode six of the Live Motocross podcast. Uh, joining me, Sophie McGinn, and our co-host, Darren Bartholomew. I don't know if he's there or has the internet gone again? Where's he at? No, I'm here. I'm, uh, I'm really <laughs> looking forward to this one. Uh, I must admit, I'm having a bit of a... I follow this lad on Facebook and Insta and he just has me in stitches all of the time. I think this is going to be a good one, to be fair. So uh, really looking forward to this one. Right, I'll let you intro him then. Here we go then. Guys, uh, really quality act coming on this week. I'm so pleased to introduce uh, uh, PGVM's Yamaha's Josh Spinks. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very formal intro. <laughs> I was going to say... No. Thanks very much for having me. I'm looking forward to it too. Now, I don't know if you can if you can hear us, all right? I don't know if you went a bit quiet there, but it sounds a bit like you're recording on a potato this week, Josh. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Hopefully you can hear me. I've got an Apple Mac that's about 10 years old. <laughs> cool. So, um, as you've probably gathered over the past few weeks, me and Darren have been quizzing all sorts of people um, on the Live podcast um, and we wanted to bring you on because one, you've got such a great social media presence and you're always doing loads of crazy stuff, but we'll get onto that in a bit. Um, but we just wanted to chat through you, you know, chat with you about how you got started racing, um, bit of background really on Mr. Spinks. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. I, um, I basically started riding when I was three years old and that was, uh, thanks to my dad. I think it was a Christmas present or maybe a birthday present, but I got a little PW50 Yamaha, um, mm-hmm. which is quite a standard way of getting into things. I had a red one. Um, mm-hmm. So that sort of kick-started things. And then as soon as I was old enough to race, um, at the age of six, I started with CGMX, Coventry Junior Motocross Club. Um, and like I say, it was a big family effort, really. My uncle's rode. My granddad had a mm-hmm. road bike. Both grandparents had road bikes, so... I had no choice, really, just straight in. <laughs> and your your brother also rides as well, doesn't he? Yes. Um, he he got involved with it quite early on when he was on a 50. Did a little bit of mm-hmm. racing on a 65. And then uh, I just think he's seen a lot of the arguments between me and my old man. So he decided to uh, <laughs> put the boots away for a few years. And then uh, he just recently had a bit of a comeback, just for fun, really. So is he older or younger brother to you, mate? Just to remind us. Yeah, he's uh, he's younger. So it's his 18th right. birthday on Saturday, actually. Wow. Okay. Oh, no, not under COVID situation as well. That's not ideal, is it? I know. Yeah, just the whole situation at the minute is just really strange. But yeah, to celebrate your 18th with your stepmom and uh, dad isn't isn't the best, is it? No, I was was drinking out my own shoe on my 18th, if I remember right, by the end of the night, mate. It's always, uh, I suppose he could do that and get away with it, though, I suppose, but... Well, yeah, they do these online parties now, don't they? But I've only just found out what Google Chrome is, so... I don't know if I'm going to be good. (laughs) Oh, dear. So So what were your sort of earliest, earliest memories with racing? And obviously, you started from the age of six. Can you really remember? much from that age yeah i remember the, the first race i can't remember exactly what track but um i just i just got so scared i, I got there in the morning all hyped up for it practicing was going well and then i just rolled my eyes out and i didn't want to actually get on the start line so i remember <laughs> um the people that run 
Coventry Junior Motocross time uh, club at the time mm-hmm. actually gave me a trophy beforehand in order to get me on the start line. So I remember that quite clearly. <laughs> and then they put a high, oh my high, god! They put a high vis on me, and uh, I think they actually joined the fifties and the sixty autos together at the time. And I think that's what was sort of on my mind that I was racing bigger bikes, but. Um, I actually won the, the yeah. first race in the end. So first race you, in. What, you actually 50s. won your first race? Yeah, yeah. There weren't many in it on the 50s. Like I say, they sort of mix you with the um, the 60s. So there wasn't uh, tons of 50s, but I did get the win. So that, that was a good start. That's impressive. I, I was I was lapped about three times my first ever race. I almost threw my bike in the edge in the very first race. But Same. That, yeah, <laughs> that's impressive. That is me. I just, you know, I was throwing the Tommy's toys toys out the pram somewhat fierce in my first race but well it was obviously in the genes mate you, it, it, even back then it's just come naturally and there's naturally gifted riders and there's just people that are work hard and are rubbish but there we are ao that's more about <laughs> me. um so how was the evolution then mate was you progressed uh, through the schoolboy or youth category then um how did you progress from there then from the step up from the pw50 um, I stuck with CGLX um, for a few years until I got on a 65. And then um, that's when we decided to start doing the national championship, which was a bit of mm-hmm. a yeah. r- rude awakening to start with, um, just with the caliber and how fast everyone was. But I don't know, it took me a, a few years to get my head around the nationals. And then when I started getting onto a small wheel, 85 is when I won my first national championship in 2005. Um, and I've repeated it on a big wheel in 2007 as well. So, yeah, just I just followed the standard sort of path, really. Get to the front of the um, club championship and then make the jump to the, to the nationals and keep building on that. So, Josh, just moving on from that, mate, obviously from your... You, you, I don't know about you, Soph, but he sounds so blasé about it, like it was yeah. <laughs> no effort whatsoever, but we know it's different, uh, which is obviously respect for that, but uh, we know how difficult it is there. So who? what were the calibre of riders you were up against, mate? Were any... Who, who was your rivals then back in the day? Just just drop a few names, mate, just to let us know what era. Um, Scott Elderfields... Um, he, I don't know how, but I think he was always one or maybe two years in front of me. Um, but yeah, he was the big name. And when we got onto the big bikes, there was sort of no touching him. Um, I could never quite beat him. He was always that next level. But um, there was a lad called Sam Davies as well that doesn't ride anymore, but he was always really good to race with. Um, there was two Warrell brothers that have gone into Speedway now. Um just trying to think there was always really good competition um it was one of those where probably one in five could win on the day so the racing was always really really close scott's been a name as well that keeps getting brought up in this podcast quite a bit yeah yeah two or three episodes now we've had that scott's been you know brought up and uh such a naturally talented rider as well i think it's just oh well we keep saying it's such a shame that he you know he decided to retire when he did but but, you know, it's one of those, isn't it? We see this. And I think for you, mate, obviously you've been in this sport quite a long time now as well. And and we see this quite a lot, that you can have a very easily, naturally talented rider that 
does his schoolboy and youth career and basically either burns out or loses interest or, or anything like that. And I know you're quite involved in this now in coaching and you, you've got your training school now up and running. And um, obviously with that, how does your experience and stuff, how do you feedback then back to your, you know, your motocross coaching and stuff? Um, like you say, if you follow me on social media and stuff, uh, I take, I only take serious what I, I need to. I, I make sure I do the work and I encourage everyone that I coach to work hard and obviously listen and all this sort of stuff and put the, the work in. But I'm also a big believer in sort of having fun as well. Um, whether it is messing about on my trials bike or, you know, dancing around or whatever, I think you've got to enjoy um, what you're doing and also mm-hmm. not sort of get tunnel vision because as important as the sport is to all of us, there's, you know, it's not the be all and end all. There's other things that happen. You've got to spend time with your friends and stuff. So I just try and create this sort of fun atmosphere because like you say, burnout, I think it's for the people that have pushed too hard um, yep. and take it maybe that little bit too seriously as well. So that's my sort of take on things. Like even with my coaching lads, I don't really BMX in my own time, but if we're going to somewhere like Mildenhall or something like that, where there's a bit of a BMX track, I'll just pop my bike in and sort of join them as well. Um, and they seem to really did like you that. do any BMX? Did you do any BMX nationals or anything like that, mate? Or is it just for fun that you go out of the BMX? Because I'm a big, you know, I used to do the nationals before I got into motocross as well. So I never actually raced BMX. I used to do it all the time. Um, my mum used to take me um, every week, so I used to just hit the jumps more than anything, rather than actually racing on the on the circuits. But yeah, BMXing was a massive part of my um, childhood. And I had a lot of friends that were into it as well. So, but I, I also think that crosses over. Um, if you do well, plenty yeah, of that exactly. at a young age, yeah, it's just being able to sort of maneuver the bike and you know throw whips and endos and all that sort of stuff. I think it really helps when you do actually get onto a motocross bike. Well, obviously, Gautier Paulam for one BMX world champion. You know, that's how we came through with the progression and everything like that as well. So. Um, where did you go from there then? Obviously, we spoke about you going into the small wheel 85 class. Then where did you go? Was, were the hundreds about when you were racing then? Or did you jump straight back up onto the 125? I mean, where did you go from there? I um, Yeah, I, I had a 125. Um, I think I got it in sort of October. So this would be the end of 2007. And I only stayed on it for a few months. I did the Wilden Lane um, Winter Championship on it. And then yep. my dad opted to put me straight on a 250F. Um, and then I continued to do the Nationals and the MXY2 at the time, which ran alongside the British. So, yeah, I, I don't know. That's maybe one thing I'd change slightly if I could do my career over again, maybe have a, a full year on the 125. So I stuck with the uh, BOMX National Championship. And we did the MXY2, which is obviously the main British championship. Um, I had a bit of success the first mm-hmm. year. I won a couple of races. One was at Donington Park, which was an awesome circuit in the middle of the road race track. Um, oh, I remember that. So good. Yeah, just that, that track was me all over, really. Just sort of hard pack, tacky dirt with some big jumps. So um, that's one of the few races I've actually beat Scott at. I don't know if you had a little crash or a bad start or something, but 
that was one race where I managed to beat Oldfield, so that one stands out. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then I think it was just trying to link it all together. Going into 2009, I'd obviously grown, put a bit more weight on, so I was ready for the 250S, but that's when I had one of my first sort of major injuries, which was a, a broken C7 um, neck vertebrae. So that happened. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah, that happened at quite a young age, which was quite scary. Um, I'm trying to think how old I was then. Probably 16, just turned 16. Oh dear, mate, that's not a good time to be doing stuff like that either, is it? That's uh... No, like, like I said, it's probably no good time, but I suppose at that age you, you don't dwell on things and you don't read into things too much. So I think I just wanted to mm. get back on my bike. Whereas if I was to do it now, you, you're thinking about oh, all this time I have enough work and this that, and the other. So maybe a younger age if yeah. it was to, to happen um in hindsight wasn't too bad but it it did affect me a little bit my confidence I almost took a bit of a back step with my riding and speed and all that sort of stuff so a little hiccup quite mm. early on in the career but um yeah as soon as I could get back on and I was healthy I was, I was sort of back to it so what were your sort of uh more career highlights would you say what were your best moments as you were growing up um it probably was focused around the 85 days really um mm -hmm. that, that's when i did a lot of winning um especially 2007 i was mm -hmm. um i don't know i was just chilling with the bike and stuff so with the nationals <laughs> and then since i've gone to professional um yeah i haven't won a lot i've done i've won some races british masters and mx nationals here and there but i think when you're winning a lot, that's when you, that's when I look back and what I'm probably remembered for a little bit more. Um, trying to think what else in my career I'm probably known for. Just being a general Wally, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> no, mate, I think you've got that confused with fun. I think that is the big trouble there. Um, I was looking back at some footage with you and we were speaking about this on one of the previous podcasts that um, at the uh, Two Stroke Festival, you and Brad Anderson having an almighty duel. Um, can you remember much about that, mate? Or Yeah, so going into round two, um, Dave Willett gave me a call and said, I've got a 252 stroke if you want to ride it. So no hesitation there. I was riding for KTM. Um, in 2018 anyway so we jumped on that um, mm -hmm. the practice and qualifying is really short so you only get two or three laps but I remember just getting my head around it on the first lap second lap and then third lap probably put a time in and it was I think it was over a second quicker than Brad um, for P1 which was a bit of a surprise but <laughs> I, I do <laughs> believe I don't know something with a two stroke I think I'd probably ride one better than a four stroke if I'm honest um which obviously goes back to my 85 days and that brief period on the 125 as well yeah when I when I did had all my success so I don't know maybe it's time to jump back on a two stroke but the race in um for round two was just unbelievable with Brad just from the moment the gate dropped to the finish flag we were just going at it I was trying everything to to make a pass but Brad's super good at making a wide bike and he's so <laughs> aggressive and he doesn't want to doesn't want to lose, um, which is amazing. He's a great racer. So yeah, out of the five races, four of them, we was just 
side by side, trying for a pass, I'd pass him, he'd slam it back under the, the in, in, inside of me and yeah, it was just going at it, it was awesome racing. But, you know, I guess that's what we live for though, mate. I mean, it's races like that that you'll probably remember for a good long length of time, isn't it? When, you know, you're dueling like that, every corner, just banging bars and that kind of thing. But yeah, so so that was obviously as, as close as 2018. Um, obviously, and then I know we kind of fast track to 2018 now, but Obviously, then you went on to uh, the EMX 250 ride that you got as well. Um, so talk to us. How, how did that evolve? How did you come by the deal then? And, you know, how did you get into the EMX 250 class? And, you know, I mean, we'll go through your results in a minute if you don't dwell on them now. But you, you had a seriously good time in 2018. Yeah, it's just a massive build up to 2018 really like you say we've, we've jumped a few years but in short maybe like 2013 um i'd lost absolutely everything to do with racing and some family issues and no bike it got stolen and no job nothing so how did i get to 2018 i, I just kept chipping away um it was matt smith m smith electrical that had picked me up in mid 2017 when a deal went pear-shaped mm-hmm. with a Husqvarna ride. Um, so, yeah, we, we just, like I have through my whole career, really, I just sort of put my head down in 2017 and progressed in the British Championship. We actually entered the first EMX at the end of 2017 um, at the last round in France. Um, and because that was a success, I narrowly missed out on a podium um, because the conditions were really wet and I got stuck. But that's a different story. So for 2018, we made the plan together to just have a go as many rounds as we possibly could. Um, we couldn't. We knew we couldn't do the full championship, but I think we did six, maybe seven rounds. Um, so yeah, just it just sort of evolved as my um, speed and results improved in British motocross. We thought, what's the next step? We'll go in the EMX and and see how we mm-hmm. fare. So that's how it all. It wasn't necessarily planned it kind of just happened so how do you feel that what the jump was like going from sort of racing the british and then going into emx did you feel it was quite daunting or not it's so strange because i throughout my whole career i've not been a great qualifier um for lap Mm -hmm. times so in the british championship my best qualifying that year in 2017 was probably um outside the top 10 i'd probably guess around 12 to 15th place um the races were different i could always get sort of towards the top five but in the emx which is definitely faster riders you know you're running alongside the gps and new tracks this that and the other my first qualification at an emx i was i was p1 i was winning it all the way until the last lap when um (laughs) ryan van der moestijk um, tipped me on the on the last lap so I don't know I don't know if it's because it was all new and I didn't I wasn't sort of looking at riders and thinking oh he might be he's usually quicker than me or this that and the other it was like a fresh slate and a new experience mm-hmm. so I actually found it easier in a way um, in 2017 yeah. it was different in 2018 when I got to the first round in Spain 
Red Sands because I had to go to the LCQ. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it all come down and, and hit me. It was just a freak one in 2017. But um, the, the racing, especially in 2018, was just, I mean, you could ask, Martin Barr, Mel Pocock, there was so many, even James Dunn, so many English lads in it, but the racing is just incredible because you've got a lot of young talent, um, like I say, Rowan van der Moos, yeah. all these people that are in MX2 now doing the business. Um, mm-hmm. And then you had, you know, seasoned riders, almost veterans like Martin Barr. You just had this massive concoction of really talented, fast riders. <clears throat> so... Mm-hmm. I say quite, it is very different to the British Championship, but an amazing experience. And obviously, going into 2018, where you and Clarky ended up, you know, one-two at the at the British EMX GP. How was that? Because that must have been something else to be a part of. Yeah, sorry, I, I didn't mention Clarky then. I should definitely have mentioned him with the, uh, <laughs> with, with the veterans. <laughs> I'm joking, but um, no, that race at Matterley, like. It gives me goosebumps now, really, because I don't think I didn't expect it from myself, and I don't think anyone yeah. expected it. Um, but yeah, that first race, um, I mean, fair play to Clarky because he passed me earlier in the race, so he had a worse start than I had. Um, mm-hmm. He passed me, and he put an absolute charge on. Obviously, come on to to win the race, um, but I kind of had a second wind just over half race distance, maybe three quarters of the way through the race. And um, I started yeah. setting the, the fastest laps during that time. And I closed it up to only, I think there was only two seconds between me and Clarky at the finish line or three seconds. So Clarky made the pass on the last lap and I could see them just in front of me. I thought if they tangle or, you know, go down, it's mine sort of thing. And I could, I could see it all happening in front of me, but, yeah, to get a, a third place finish in that first race was um, was incredible, really. And then the second race, I was so confident. I thought, ah, oh, I can win this, I can win this. But I don't know what happened. I think I was trying a little bit too hard. I'm <clears throat> actually going that little bit slower. So I actually finished, I dropped back a little bit to eighth. But it was good enough for second overall. So, you know, it was always one of my goals mm-hmm. after missing the podium in 2017 at that wet race in France. I was so gutted about that that I just had to make sure that I, I got another one and it, it came at Matley. So it was amazing. Yeah. Because I can remember uh, Swanee, I saw him at the GP and he was crying and all sorts, wasn't he there? <laughs> yeah, he, he was uh, He was emotional. He's been there through the whole whole thing. I said, I've, I've touched on it very briefly a minute ago, about 13, when it was all falling to pieces and I was about sort of done with it. I had no choice um for racing racing <laughs> from there so he's been with me from that time and we've progressed together i suppose it's that's why he's probably got so emotional over it but um, <laughs> yeah thank you for that i'm sure so funny yeah, yeah it's been awesome one, one but, of the things mate i just wanted to pick up on there when you spoke briefly there about the qualification and stuff i read on an interview there with you that one of the things that you did find what well, kind of strange i guess in a way is one of the one of the lads had come by you and and just thought oh my god he's just like on another level and then all of a sudden you came to the next corner and they were like out through the ropes and all sorts of things it was so it's not always a given that especially when you said you said it like it was a complete surprise to you in that qualification race then but like 
you know, when we, we see it all of the time, you get these guys and they're, they're fast, don't get me wrong, in the straight line, but a couple of corners on there, out through the ropes, in the crowd, whatever. So um, it, it kind of don't really make sense, is it? Yes, they're fast, but they're not smooth like you are. They're, they're just young, dumb and full of you-know-what. <laughs> but like Brian, Brian Moreau especially, like I've never seen anyone ride a bike so fast but so sort of loose when he nails a lap like no one can touch him it's like that um is it brian hogmer Kev- no kevin hogmer they're two riders that are just incredible speed but you know they're going to be on the ground two or three times during the race <laughs> it's just you know but that's exactly what you said there's some especially the young riders they're just they're just willing to hang it out and risk everything um, something that I've never been able to do. No, well, you know, there's a lot to be said for that, mate. You're obviously a bit more of a calculating rider than that. So, um, and then we we obviously is kind of polar opposite, really, as it were. And and then a little bit later on, obviously, you're there again, and then all of a sudden you you break your ankle, and after things are looking so good. Yeah, the. Um... So I broke my, my ankle the first time at, at Matterley, um, yeah. the year after the year after 2019 because they they put the rule in that um, on is it only under 23s now for the MX250? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm I was 27 at the time, so obviously that screwed me up for that. So we we thought right, the only class I can go in is MX1. I obviously really like the tracks, one of my favourites. So we we thought let's give a first GP a go. Um, and it was going awesome until the, the qualifying race where I think I was sat in about 17th, 18th, which I was happy with. And I was, I was riding quite, like you say, calculated smooth. I wasn't really losing any more time or positions. And then my front wheel just washed and yeah, the, the ankle sort of twisted as I put my foot down and that was enough to, to break it. And, um, I've not raced since because I've had so many little issues, um, that's you know that how many months ago is that now 14 15 months and i haven't been behind the start line since so yeah it come crashing down just a little bit yeah but obviously sometimes that is a big motivator though mate and it sometimes you you have time off the bike and then you appreciate it when you do come back you just think right okay this is what i'm meant to be doing this is what i'm good at and it just gives you that extra determination doesn't it to just and kind of brings us nicely, Soph, into kind of section two, really, um, and about mm-hmm. 2020 in general um, and working towards the future and your plans for 2020. Obviously, everybody can see, and uh, for guys out there listening, you really need to get onto um, Josh's Instagram page and things like that and just have a look at the pure beauty of that PGVM Yamaha there's a couple of bikes that I'm really keen on at the moment. One is the Apex KTM UK machine, all black and stealthy. And the other one is your bike that I've absolutely fell in love with. So how, how did that come about, mate? Mm-hmm. Just just give us a background. Obviously, you're with Paul Grimshaw, Vehicle Movements, Yamaha race team this year. How, how did you get together with those guys then to tie up this year? So Paul has helped me as a private sponsor um since the start of 2018 
So while I was doing all the EMX stuff and, and whatnot, he was a private helper. And then I say 2019 with a broken ankle and uh, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's probably better off not said, but we kind of, I ended things with the M Smith. Um, I was on the Yamaha last year, but we ended things there and I had a chat with Paul PGVM and just said, look, can we, do you reckon we can set something up for ourselves? So it was as simple as that, really. As soon as he agreed to it and we made some plans, that's that's where I went. Um, and Paul, he has got a good understanding about motocross, but he's never sort of managed the team or been fully hands-on before. So the agreement was that he's happy to, to run it, but I've got to be more hands-on, make decisions, obviously get the sponsors on board and even stuff like you said, I'm really happy that you like the bike because that's something that I sort of designed with the graphics and choosing to make it black. And Paul really likes the gold wheels, which is obviously really retro. So as soon as we committed to getting them sort of wheels, I thought, how can we make this work as good as possible? So that that's how it come about, really. Um, some things weren't going quite to plan within the team in 2019. So as soon as there was an option to for an alternative with Paul, that's that's we just went full full in on it. Um, so yeah, that's how it it came about. Unfortunately, obviously, we haven't got things going properly just yet. But the bikes are sat there looking all pretty, and the sponsors it's, are on it's board certainly pretty, mate. I'll give you that. There. Yeah, and I, I'm just really happy, even with like a Pico and the, the kit that I'm wearing this year. Um, with the RI helmets and stuff, I just feel really sort of protective and, you know, I think everything looks really good and good quality. So I'm, I'm really excited once we can finally get going. Oh, good. Um, so obviously, I, I see online that you do a lot of training sort of each day, always out cycling bits and bobs. Um, and you also, you went out to America riding and stuff at the start of the year. Um, what goes into your training and prep for, you know, doing these British races? Um, yeah, it's all about consistency, I think, what I've learned mm -hmm. over the years. Um, I, I must be honest, like, I've never trained, been able to train as much as I have done in this sort of quarantine isolation because I've always, I've always yeah. worked. Um, I've built up a, a coaching and tuition sort of business. Uh, which which has got busier and busier over the years, over the past couple of years. So that takes up a lot of my time. So I'm usually having to squeeze in um, the sort of training and my own riding in between. But I think getting mm. the consistency and, like you say, with motocross, there's so much involved. Cycling, you need a good sort of endurance base. You need core strength. Um, flexibility, I've got into yoga just that little bit more. So... Yeah, from the outside, unless you've been involved with the sport, um, it's very hard to understand how much actually goes into it. It's it's crazy to think how many hours go into sort of training and and riding to to make yourself ready for the races. Has it glitched up again, sir? Uh, we're all right. 
<laughs> I don't know if... No, it's all right. Oh, we've just got Darren Moore, right? for a second, but we're back in the room. Um, so just picking off there, mate, and, and from the information that you've you've given us and, and all of the uh, all of the stories that you're telling us through your career so far as well, there's been obviously a couple of times where you've just fallen off the wagon a little bit, you know, obviously, as you said, having your bike stolen, all that kind of thing, and how did you know affecting you mentally and things like that and then obviously breaking ankle just recently and stuff like that for any of the kind of the younger riders coming through and even some of the amateur guys out there as well how how do you and I know you probably go into this with your training school and things like that but how do you mentally prepare yourself to come back after all of these big you know kind of episodes that you've had made because I mean that's life in general at the moment I mean this COVID-19 thing as you say you've been you're training your butt off properly like I have I've had much more time on the bike and stuff like that uh, while this has been going on but for anybody else out there listen how do you recover from something like that um sorry mate question, I do actually, this I, I, I do this on the spot stuff <laughs> <laughs> no no it's it's I think if you if you're doing it for the right reasons if you have a period of time off you have no choice but to come back does that make sense? I think it should yeah. be quite a natural thing. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think you should have to work too hard. If, if you love it and you want to sort of put your time into it and achieve, you're just going to get back on it regardless. Um, so motivation-wise, I, I don't know if I can answer that properly because for me, it just comes quite naturally. I just want to get back to things mm-hmm. as soon as possible because you should be you're working towards something so any any of these little blips it's just a minor little hold up and then you get back to it um yeah i suppose just remember why you got into it in the first place because life sucks without it and speaking of uh <laughs> this is true <laughs> um just speaking about your training school a little bit as well i notice um you've got a little girl that you coach as well olivia she is coming on leaps and bounds at the minute from what I've seen. Yeah, Olivia is is special. The, when I first met her and the family, I think that was 2018 as well. And um, mm-hmm. she'd only been riding a, just over a year or something like that. She won't mind me saying this. Her parents won't mind me saying this, but she was she, quite dangerous. She was She was happy to <laughs> sort of whack the throttle open, but just not a lot of knowledge with sort of technique and you know she's quite yeah. overly aggressive and legs flailing around and, and this that and the other so as soon as we we agreed <laughs> to obviously get going with the coaching and some fairly regular sessions and stuff as soon as we tidy things up got a griffin with her legs and working on the technique it's all sort of just fell into place and she's progressing every time i see her um which is amazing, but yeah, she's she yeah. definitely one to watch. And I think you could say that in generally, and probably one of the mindsets that you have um, with the, the training school, mate, is the fact that, and you see it in in road racing, MotoGP, what wherever, you've got these guys that are so both both guys and girls that are so so fast, and like for you as a coach. You can't, all right, you can to a degree, but you can't coach somebody 
to be that fast. You, you've got to have it naturally or some instinct into going fast in the first place. If they crash their brains out for the first few years or whatever else, you as a coach can actually enhance them and stop them from crashing and becoming a better rider. Would you say that's probably fair? Yeah, no, 100%. Um, uh, there is riders where, again, I'm not going to name anyone, but they've got such a perfect technique, but they haven't, like you say, got that bit of aggression, a bit of fire to get the most out of it. So I agree with what you said. If you've got the the speed, the aggression, the no fear, and then you can learn to ride a bike properly, um, yeah, I think that's what what can mm-hmm. take you quite far. I didn't like through my schoolboy and stuff. I've always you said it earlier, just sort of quite smooth. I don't really put many wheels wrong or anything like that. I've I've kind of not quite had the aggression I perhaps needed to just push it that little bit more. I am working on it like over the past sort of few years and I have become, I think when I rode the 250 um, with the EMX uh, in them sort of races, that just gave me that a bit more aggression. So now that I've gone back on the 450, I think it's working out a little bit better for me. So I fully agree with what you said. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. to be fair, mate, your style is like on point. You know, it, every time I see your trackside, I just think, yeah, this this boy's on it. Um, so fair play for that. But just coming off the back of that, just about to say, what what is what do you take out of your training schools? What is the highlight for you? Do you come away and think, oh, do you know what that is? You know, I've made them a little bit quicker. What what, what do you take from your training schools when you walk away at the end of the day and you have a rethink about it? Is it? Yeah, um, just like you say, seeing any progression as, as small or as as big as the improvement is on the day, that that feels amazing because you've made a difference. Um, you know, if you get some positive feedback after it, which you hope to, and they thank you and tell you how they feel and how much better they are, then, it, yeah, it just makes you feel awesome. Um, like I say, I, I, I coach all ages, but when I'm with the sort of younger riders, being able to just act myself um, and, and be able to sort of be on their level and have fun with them and have a laugh and, and this, that, and the other, I think, they're my funner days uh, when I've got a group of sort of young riders. Like I say, pick, getting the BMX out and just, just having a laugh. So, yeah, I always leave the day just feeling satisfied and, and just really enjoy it, enjoy each day. Did you, what, it, back in your early days, I know we're recapping a bit now, but back in your early days then, did you have a mentor that, or did you have to do everything off your own back or did you have somebody that you looked up to and possibly spent some time with you, shown your lines or anything like that? Or did you have to do it all yourself, mate? Just, uh, um, no, just wondering I, when you're saying going back to the coach. I didn't have any um, sort of tuition. I think my first tuition coaching day I had was with Stefan Everts, which was obviously a good one. Um, but, but that, <laughs> as, a, as a name dropper. Yeah, that, that's when he um, finished his career and, and signed up with KTM and they did like a dealer day at Tony Motor, which was a, an awesome track, obviously years ago, 2008, I think that was. But prior to that, um, no, just my dad, uh, he reached a fairly good level. Sort of um, AMCA was a big championship at the time. He did the got into the experts maybe and did a bit of enduro so he had the basic knowledge he used to talk about line choice and sort of working with the track a lot 
um, when I was younger. So I always, I was always sort of good with that side of it. But since I've been coaching, um, I almost coached myself as well. I feel like I've improved um, more in the past five, six years than I have, you know, prior to that. I think it's all happened mm-hmm. quite quickly and, and recently just because I'm more aware of t- techniques yeah. and, and stuff. Yeah, almost like practice what you preach type thing, really. It just brings it back to you that, you know, actually sometimes you do have to go back to basics, Yeah, you know, uh, to give you that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it's awesome because the sport's evolving as well. Um, you know, sort of everyone's talking about feet position on the foot pegs and, and all this sort of stuff to be light on your feet because you've got people like Prado that just make everything look really effortless. And yeah, it's, it's amazing now how the sport's sort of changing. And, you know, back to when I was younger and my dad was coaching me, I was on 85s and stuff. No one cared what part of the foot that was using on the foot pegs, if you know what I mean. But um so yeah i've, I've mm-hmm. completely lost track of what we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> in in that case then uh talk me through these trial videos that you and uh, your girlfriend have been putting online recently the ones that clarky loves yeah <laughs> um, uh, I, I cannot sit still um so this isolation I was never going to be sort of on the console, PS4 or anything like that. Um, well, I'm still living with my mum at the moment and we've not got a, a sort of big garden. It's just a standard size garden. But next door neighbours, they've got horses and they've got like a paddock that go all the way around the back. So my first, I think it was the first day, as soon as um, he announced that it was isolation, I tapped the door, which I probably shouldn't have done. And, uh, <laughs> and, and just asked, you know, I stood two meters away, but <laughs> I asked if I could use the trials light on their on their paddock, and um, they said, "Yeah, no problem." I said, "I'll only use it a couple of hours a week, <clears throat> a week which I have." Um, and then I just got carried away and got the shovel out and built jumps, and there's there's jumps that are crossing over other jumps, and got the strimmer out out the attic and strimmed all the um, hedges, and me and the girlfriend. The, been hacksawing all the little trees down i've made a right facility now so um all, all i saw was you had a pair of her leggings on the other day that's all i seen well it, it, yeah i get again just getting carried away really i, I didn't i didn't <laughs> think right i'm gonna make a trials series i just got a few clips gooning around and then people were finding it quite funny and then oh. made another one and then there was the um oh god i forgot the name of it now that film it's my favourite film. I have I forgot? Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings, cool runnings is um, absolute quality, yeah, mate. I, I watch it. Yeah, it is my favourite. I watch it a couple of times every single year. And I just thought oh, I could probably remake that a little bit. Yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> we went on eBay and they've got the full sort of Cool Runnings costume, stuck that on. And then I think all it took was for someone to comment on the video. I think I put a video of me and my girlfriend was just, Pratting around in the rain, it's like a hailstorm come down, and I think someone commented yeah. saying, "Don't think about wearing what your missus has got on or something," and that just tells me that I've got to do a video. I've got to do it. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's where that that one came down. But yeah, so with the trials, it's just keeping me occupied, <clears throat> um, 
and, and just having some fun. It's the closest thing I can do to motocross at the moment. Well, you say having fun, mate, but honestly, bike control and the skill level set that you've got is obviously, well, if you haven't seen it, guys, you need to get on his Insta and, and have a look. The, that I could never do that. I mean, he's doing stoppies downhill, you know, goon riding in the best way ever. Um, but like, you've got to be a very, very good rider to even pull that off, mate, as well, to be fair. So do you think that uh, honed your skills on the motocross bike or? Yeah, I got into trials um, quite a few years ago now, probably, I don't know, 2014, I guess. But again, that's, that's kind of the period where I think my riding's progressed. And I think a little bit of that is into trials because there's so many things, like you said, just, sort of control on the throttle you're constantly trying to find grip um clutch control things are at a little bit more of a slow pace so trials if i had or when i have a, a kid um i would scrap the whole 50 cc um riding and, and stick them on a trials bike yeah from the start yeah just just and to get just bike control yeah, 100%. Yeah, sort of feeling, like say, the use of a clutch even. So throttle control, balance, all these things, and then I think onto a 65. That's how I'd do it, maybe a little bit different. But I think, <laughs> like I say, I just really believe that trials um, helps with the riding, 100%. Did you run past your neighbour then that you were going to big build great big massive holes in her paddock area at all, or did you not tell her about that? No, I, I I didn't tell her, I just did it. <laughs> I, I, built one, I, I built one, gave it a few days just to see if anything was said. And then built another one. And then I got to the point where it was obvious what I was doing. And I just thought, nothing's been said, I'm just going to crack on. <laughs> <laughs> but as well, mate, you've... you've there's one of the one of the videos there as well when you've actually you're you're just pancaking the trials bike i mean how do you work that with such a low bike i mean i'm not particularly good on a trials bike whatever mate but that's got to be difficult surely to god on a motocross or at least you've got the bike underneath you you can feel it but on a trials bike that must be that when um when i was doing that and i always get the missus to take pictures of me and stuff just so i can have a little look but um (laughs) No, just remind me of BMX days. That's what yeah. I used to do on a BMX. It goes right back to then. Obviously, you've not got a big wide seat underneath you on a BMX, so it's quite similar to trials. Um, and the trials bike obviously weighs a lot less than a motocross bike as well. So you can, it's. I'm, make, I'm just making it out to be a bit easier than it probably is. But oh, you are. Um, <laughs> it, it just reminds me of a bit more mountain bikey sort of BMX days. So I reckon then from this point, we should probably roll into the Q&As because we've had a ton sent in this week. Josh, you are yeah, a popular yeah. guy, mate. And obviously with your presence on social media and getting yourself out there in the very beginning, um, we've probably had well one of the biggest questions hoard that we we've had so far and we so so far yeah i think so yeah uh, right then uh, you're uh, probably gonna know 
I was going to say that's nice to know. You're probably going to know a few of these people that have sent bits in. So I'm just going to uh, call them as I see them, if you like. Uh, so yeah. this was from Craig Chamberlain. Yeah. And he said, um, has Callum Swan got the best bum whip you've ever seen? 100%. i tell you what, it's a really funny story. <laughs> he, um, he did travel in Marshall at Preston Docks. Uh, might have mm-hmm. been like a British Masters or, or something and they've got a massive tabletop there where everyone watches so you picture this he's got his high vis on um, just track marshal obviously usually when that happens everyone goes really slowly just checks the tracks clear but he was just hitting this tabletop again absolutely <laughs> sideways but the thing is with Callum the thing is with Callum he doesn't always get it back so he um, <laughs> say he really throws his bum out there and then sometimes lands a little bit crossed up as well. So, yeah, he's funny. Definitely one of the best. 10 out of 10 for commitment, then oh, yeah. I'll give him that. Mind you, Chamberlain can't say anything. I don't know if you've seen him doing that dance. Have you seen him do that dance this week? He can't talk I'm about anybody. Sure I I'll have a look. Oh, mate, you've got to have a look. It's legendary. It's scary and it's wrong on every level, but it's uh, fair play to him. <laughs> Right. Um, so, question two. Um, this is from Matt Wayne, and he said, "What's your favourite motocross memory, and why?" We've probably hit this somewhere in the podcast already, but yeah, I'm, I'm torn between two. I, I've probably got to go with the whole Matterly, um mm-hmm. podium at the EMX. Just, I've never felt so good in myself after a race weekend. It lasted for quite a few days, just on a massive high. So. That that's probably stands out the most. Matterly Basin, two thousand eighteen. Yeah. Not surprised. What, what was your second one? Sorry, um, just going off the back of that. You had two there. You said what was the, would you be your second one? Yeah, the, the second one would be um, wrapping up the national championship in two thousand and five. Um, obviously, my dad was was there at the races with me, and I just remember coming around on the last lap, and I don't know if we had a pit board or. All my family was sort of stood together, and everyone was so so pumped about it. Also, oh, that, amazing. that really stands out. And that was that was 2005, so that's obviously quite distant now. But I remember it like it was yesterday. So oh. yeah, that would be the second. Brilliant. Oh, that's oh, cool. It is cool. Um, that's so next one from Lance Moose. I think his surname's pronounced. Um, he says, "Hi, Josh. Who do you consider to be the better athlete, an enduro rider or a motocross rider?" Um, so different. I know I've not really done a, a ton of enduro riding myself, but obviously the mm-hmm. fitness levels and the, the amount of riding they do, you've got to appreciate the fitness. Um, mm-hmm. Also the terrain that they ride on as well, obviously in and out of trees at that speed. Um, yeah. Whereas motocross, it's all, you, you've just got that intensity, haven't you? Of hanging it out a little bit more and the speed and hitting big jumps and stuff. Um I'm going to have to side with the motocross um, just because I know more about it. So mm-hmm. hopefully I didn't offend him, but I'd say there's not much between them, but the motocross, the intensity and 40 riders going into that first corner and stuff. I don't think there's much that can replace that. No. Yeah. That's and it. when we spoke about that Ando yourself battle that we had, wasn't Johnny Walker in that race as well? Yeah. Um, Johnny, yeah, he rode the 150. Um, 
obviously heavily backed from KTM and Red Bull. So that was cool to see him there. Uh, a nice guy as well, a really nice guy. I'm not sure where he finished. I think he was maybe six sevenths or something. So he did yeah. quite well. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Really, really good at what he does. Uh, so we're we'll on to the next one because we've got quite a few to get through. <laughs> um, another question from Matt Jones. Uh, which is your favourite track on the British circuit? Uh, this probably means British calendar. Any tracks you should, any tracks you miss and should be given another go? Um, I definitely miss the Donington track we were talking about. Um, from where my mum lives now at the moment, that is literally under 10 minutes drive away. So I miss that mm-hmm. for many reasons. It'd be cool to do some practicing there. And I'd say one of my favorite sort of tracks with the ground and jump. So I miss Donington. Um, mm-hmm. It'd be great to see that come what, back, even though I can't see it. What about Mallory as well? Did you manage to get much time there? Yeah, Mallory was a, another local at the time. Um, again, a great track. They had a few GPs there and a couple of British championships. So definitely Donington and Mallory I'd like to see um, back. But my favourite current track at the moment, um, it's got to be Desert Martin. There's no, oh, yeah, there's no other track like, like it. Yeah, it's just there's always sort of you get to the top of the big hill near the start when you just drop down. And every year I, I just take the same picture. <laughs> which I don't know why because it never changes but it's just amazing when you're up there what you can see and how the track's all carved out and just amazing to ride that place I think that'll be on the top of the list for many many riders I should think mate to be fair it's like the iconic I mean if you could build a track like a couple of fields down from your house that would be something like that wouldn't it for sure amazing yeah and um, that's where I had my first Max's podium as well in 2018 so yeah. um, oh, obviously cool. gel with it then it? yeah it'd be good it'd be great to see that back and up to its former glory so next one from charlie gibson um he seems to be sending a question in each week now i've noticed <laughs> <laughs> um best best bike slash team you've ridden for um, um, um obviously very i haven't actually raced on the current setup but how everything's mm-hmm. feeling at the moment the, we've got the bike amazing um suspension's working well great people with paul at pgvm so that's good but if we're talking mm-hmm. about a, a, a sort of season that's already happened um i'd have to go with the third sports ktm in 2015 yeah mm-hmm. um just awesome really it's the first time i had sort of aftermarket suspension through my whole career um so i got really comfortable with that bike nothing was an issue we had everything that we needed to go out there and race um and, and do really well on so definitely um the bad sports ktm was awesome defo um and also we'll probably round this up as the final one so we're not asking you too many um in fact, we've got Mr. Clark's one after this, to be fair. <laughs> I was going to say, you've got to bring that one up. <laughs> yeah. So this one's just a random one off um, Instagram. And they said, uh, we saw you out training in America. Um, who did you go with? Um, and what was your experience like? Because I think they're looking for a holiday. <laughs> oh, the actual, I was going to list my friends that went with me. <laughs> that's what I meant. 
Um, so it means the ride in the package that I went with. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was three PMX, three Palms MX. Um, they're quite new. They've only just um, set mm-hmm. up. I think it was last year. But they're in uh, Temecula. They've got a lovely house. Um, it's almost like a mini mansion. They've got the swimming pool. The bikes are top notch. Um, situated in a really good place near Cahia. I'm sure you've rode there at some point, Sophie, as well. Yeah, a lot. Did a lot of laps around that place. It's my favourite. <laughs> yeah, so they're really close to that track. So I went out with them in October um, with my girlfriend for my. How old was I? How old was I, Katie? I was 27. I was gonna, even I knew that, mate. I was going to help you out there. Even <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> um, literally just in the other room, I asked. Yeah. Um, so we went out in October with the same people, Free PMX, and then I got a load of my friends together to watch Anaheim 1, which they obviously offer that on their package as well. So, yeah, give um, Luke Santos, his name is, a message at Free PMX and um, send it. Awesome. Now, right. I am taking no responsibility for this question whatsoever. This is Mr. Clark's input. <laughs> and he is asked, yeah, you don't need to be. Um, if you had to swap girlfriends with one rider in the British Championship, who would it be? <laughs> Can I just say this out loud to Katie before I answer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Katie? Stephen Clark has asked me if I had to swap girlfriends with anyone, <laughs> who would it be? You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to make it really easy for myself. Tommy Searles, missus. Oh, fair play. Oh. Sophia. <laughs> she, I heard it? that, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> To be fair, there's probably a few riders in the paddock are just thinking the same thing, to be fair, because she's lovely and she is beautiful. There's no two ways about it. Let's be honest. Yeah, I I was lucky enough to go to their wedding and and stuff, and I've got to know Tommy quite well over the past couple of years. Um, Did I I see you doing the worm, mate, at his wedding? Was that, or was I dreaming that? (laughs) Yeah, it got out of control. Me... um, (laughs) Callum and then Sam Davis that I was talking about. Talking about already, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was there and I hadn't seen him for years and years and years. So, yeah, so many things happened that night. <laughs> we um, we took over <laughs> took over the live band. <laughs> Callum was on the piano, I think. I was on. Uh, <laughs> oh, was I on the piano? Someone was on the mic, and we um, we did that, and then the dance floor someone spilled a drink so they had the cones out and I um, I wormed across the dance floor and, and broke the cone but then me and Callum <laughs> was using the broken cone as like a surfboard <laughs> oh my but, god you know it, it was going crazy and then it was around Christmas time and we went outside a bit of a, a yob act actually I went outside and there was Christmas trees and I just slung one of them around and it was yeah pretty hectic but awesome like Tony Caroli was there um, you know, the Lowe's brothers, it was just amazing. I was going to say, mate, that night. sounds like hell of a night. That is it. But is that your party trick then, mate? The worm, is it? Is that is that your best? Yes. Uh, Callum's 
good at it as well. For a, a bigger yep. boy, he can sling himself around. So we, um, <laughs> it's like the trademark thing. We do it together. <laughs> so there we go, um, Clarky. I hope that's answered your question. Um, well, to be fair, to be fair, it was a pretty good it, well, answer. It was a good so. answer. And he didn't dither like Clarky did, did he? He wriggled and squirmed and all sorts <laughs> over that that one. Uh, so yeah, fair play to you, mate. And you know, you're probably going to get the wrath of Katie when she's off. But there you go. No, we'll be fine. <laughs> we'll be fine. I don't know what Tommy will make of that, but. <laughs> Well, can't <laughs> I should think he'd be flattered, mate, I would have thought. <laughs> he won't listen anyway, he's too busy. Okay, so we've got a quick fire round, which is a new part of the podcast, okay? So what's going to happen is I am going to give you five questions and you have to give me your first answer that pops into your head, all right? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so first one, two-stroke or four-stroke? Two-stroke. Yamaha or Suzuki? Yamaha. Matley Basin or Fox Hills? Matley Basin. <laughs> 250 or 450? 450. 450. Carol Baskin or Joe Exotic? Carol Baskin. Oh, oh no, you didn't! No! <laughs> well, I dressed up as it. I am it. Yeah, but you can't it's be on me. a team. I am her. <laughs> 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 that's just because of the trials oh. trials video when I actually watched it I really hated the woman to be honest with you well there you go then I'll let you off with yeah, that okay, one okay mate fair enough um, <laughs> so I think that'll round up our quick fire um, part of the podcast this week Darren I don't know if you want to add anything else no, in no we're all good uh, we've got an extra couple of um, well there's a couple of, is that a competition that you're running there is it so for yes yeah, so what's going to happen is um, listeners, you've got a chance to win uh, some Live Motocross goodies over the next couple of weeks. So what I want you to do is I'm going to ask you a question about Josh and you guys need to put your answer into the iTunes uh, comment box. So what that will do is it will give you a chance to write as many entries as you want. Uh, the winner will be picked at random who has got the correct answer and then you'll win some goodies over the next week. Um, so the question is, we've talked about it quite a lot on yeah, the podcast. Josh has said the same thing himself um, as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So the question is, what year did Josh get on the podium at MXGP and what position? So this would be the EMX 250. So if you want to enter, make sure you add it into the iTunes uh, review box. And that way we'll be picking a winner out in the next week. There we go, guys. Something to look forward to and a bit of fun for, for this week coming up. And it, it's I think we should just say, I mean, so if we've been inundated and absolutely humbled by the amount of follows and stuff that we're, we're getting now, it's really quite humbling, isn't it? I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, we love doing it uh, and it's great. I mean, the story to say, uh, we knew he was going to be an absolute star and, and really loads of funny stories and stuff like that for us. But thank you so much, mate, for taking the time. Um, we're hoping to see you trackside uh, and get some racing underway. Hopefully it's looking potentially June-ish with a bit of luck. So, But we're really looking forward to seeing that PGVM Yamaha as tricky it is trackside as soon as possible, mate. And we'd just like to wish you all the best for this year and uh, hope you have a safe one mate and um yeah thank you for being such a really really good guest mate thank you so much
not not a problem. Thanks very much for including me in this as well. You, you're both doing an amazing job. And um, yeah, hopefully, like I say, at the track soon and, and we can all get our heads down and get back to normality. So really appreciate the kind words. That's it. Well, thanks a lot again, Josh. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Acast and Spotify so you don't miss an episode of the Live Motocross podcast. We'll see you again next week. Oh, yeah.